God, I pray that you would help us to know you better for having spent time in your word today. I thank you for the gift of scripture and the joy it is to know you truly. And I thank you that you have sent your son so that we can not only know you, but have a relationship with you. I pray that as we hear Jesus' words this morning, we would be able to respond in great joy, knowing your love for us and your care for us, and that we would be able to be equipped to live in obedience to your son as a result of having heard your word. We pray this asking for the power of your spirit this morning, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus gives us this command in Matthew chapter 6. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So it's a very clear command, right? Jesus tells us that we don't have to worry about tomorrow. We don't have to be uh, caught up in anxiety about the future. And yet the truth is that most of us find this very difficult. Many of us spend a good deal of our time uh, paralyzed by worry and fear and anxiety about what the future holds, what tomorrow, what's going to come up tomorrow. In many ways, we are a nation of worriers, and this is particularly true when it comes to the stuff that Jesus is talking about, provision for tomorrow. This is particularly true when it comes to finances. This is always one of the top stressors uh, in the lives of Americans. A recent study found that uh, as many as two-thirds of us have a significant amount of stress when it comes to our financial situation. And to be sure, we have good reasons for this. Over the past decade, the, the um, cost of living has outpaced the, the real wages that we're earning, so it's difficult for us to kind of make ends meet. And we're also not doing very well dealing with it. I saw one study that suggested that 19% of us spend more money than we make. That's a problem, right? And then uh, an additional 36% of us spend every single dime that we make so that we're not saving anything. That means that more than half of us, according to that study, are not saving anything at all. So of course we're worried about our financial future. A whole bunch of us have credit card debt, and as many as a third only make minimum monthly payments on those cards. This all plays out so that the average American household owes $7,281. And that's including the people who have zero credit card debt. If you take those people out, the average American who has credit card debt has $15,762 of credit card debt. And if you add in all the different kinds of debt that we hold, including mortgages and car payments and everything else, the average American household owes $130,000. Altogether, we owe $12 trillion, $120 billion. That's a lot of money. And so, of course, the the stress numbers are correspondingly high. Money comes up as the top stressor or one of the top two stressors in just about every study of anxiety and fear and worry. If you want to feel a little bit better about yourself, uh, it might be actually worse in Great Britain. I saw one study there that that said that only 3% of uh, British people never worry about their finances. And despite all of that worry, few of them are actually doing anything to make it any better. My favorite uh, finding in that study was that a third of them, rather than deciding to go to a budget and trying to make their financial uh, future more secure, a third of them were counting on the lottery to improve their financial fortunes. And of course, if the lottery is your plan for having enough to retire on, your worry and anxiety are going to be growing all the time because sooner or later, someone's going to show you the odds of actually winning the lottery, and then you're really going to have something to worry about. And yet Jesus commands us, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. 
So we've got our work cut out for us this morning. Uh, we're in a series called All Things Are Possible with God. We're trying to get a, a big picture of God's power as it relates to the, the everyday life that we live in, to try to connect Sunday morning to Monday morning and beyond. Too often there's this disconnect between the world of church and the Bible and the world of work and school and play, the stuff you do in the rest of your life. To hear Jesus say that we shouldn't worry about tomorrow might actually contribute in your mind to that disconnect. You think, well, well, Jesus didn't know about my life. Well, Jesus didn't know about credit card debt. Jesus didn't have to raise my kids. But here's the thing. Jesus does know. He lived in a very different culture, that's true, but in many ways, his culture was actually a, a more difficult uh, culture to make ends meet and provide for your family. He said these words originally to an audience that, that would have been probably primarily composed of peasants, people who would have known very uh, strongly how hard it is to continue to provide for their family, even to meet the basic uh, necessities of life. If you missed a day of work in that culture, it's very possible that you would have also missed a day of eating. And yet Jesus can tell them, don't worry about tomorrow. We need to see why he can say that so that we can learn how to be free ourselves from slavery to worry and anxiety. So the text we're looking at today is Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Uh, please turn there uh, if you haven't already. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can uh, grab one from the pew rack. This is found on page 960, Matthew chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 25. This is from a, a larger uh, teaching section called the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to take this in two parts. We're first going to see why we don't need to worry, and then we're going to see how we can actually stop worrying. So first, why we don't need to worry. Listen to what Jesus uh, teaches us. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So if we want to know why we don't have to worry about providing for the basic needs of life, we just have to take a look around us. Jesus says, look at the birds. Birds are very here and now when it comes to their food, right? Other animals collect food. We've got a bunch of squirrels in our backyard, and you can see them very busily collecting seeds and, and acorns and everything else they can get their hands on. They go and store them up somewhere, and, and all winter long, they're able to eat from that food. But birds don't do that. Birds don't store up uh, stuff in, in food. They're just, they eat whatever they come across that day. Jesus says you don't see a bird going and, and farming, planting seeds and, and planting out a whole garden, and, and, or you don't even see them collecting seeds and putting them into a, a larder or something like that. 
they're dependent for their very survival on being able to find food in the moment, day by day. And yet, they survive. How? Well, because God feeds them. Now, you might hear that and say, well, that's not exactly how it works. God doesn't kind of come down and personally feed the birds. They have to go around, they find worms and everything else, seeds and stuff. But Jesus is getting us past all the intermediate stuff to show us how they're really provided for. They have a creator who cares about them. They have a creator who feeds them, and and that's how they survive. And so if God cares enough to feed even birds, that should get us to thinking, shouldn't it? Or look past the birds to the wildflowers. The lilies of the field, they can't even fly around to look for food. They're totally dependent upon the environment that they're in. They can't do anything to change their situation in life. And yet, look at a flower in bloom. It's incredible. It's amazing. No designer in the world is able to to match the simple beauty of a wildflower. It's incredible. Why? Because God has clothed them. He cared about them enough to give them a certain kind of splendor and glory. And if God cares enough to do that with flowers, well, that too should make us think. So, get, so if, we, if we open our eyes to the world around us, we learn why we don't have to worry. It's because God provides for us. Right? He created us in the first place. He created this world to be a place where plants and animals and humans can thrive. And He didn't just create us and then kind of set us aside and, and let the world do its own thing, but He also sustains the world. The Bible talks about even the changing of the seasons being a sign of God's faithfulness and His care for His creation. We don't have to worry about tomorrow. We don't have to worry about our basic needs being met because God provides for us. Or stop thinking about creation for a minute and let's get practical. Look at verse 27. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life. Okay, aside from the provision of God, let's get pragmatic about this. Does worrying actually help? Well, no, it doesn't change anything. It's like those British people who are worrying about their financial future and just counting on the lottery, fixing it all for them. It doesn't do any good. It doesn't help the situation at all. So you start by looking at God's provision, say, okay, that's why I don't have to worry. And then you, you look at the practical aspect of it. And you say, worrying doesn't actually change anything, so it doesn't do me any good. And then we get to this, verse 31 and 32. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So worrying, Jesus says, is acting like a pagan. Pagan might be an offensive term to you, but pagan in biblical terms is simply someone who doesn't know God. Worrying is acting like someone who doesn't know the God who feeds the birds, the God who clothes the flowers, the God who knows every need that you have, the God who loves you, the God who provides for you. The biggest reason we don't have to worry is because you and I are incredibly valuable to God, and He is powerful to provide everything He needs. So yes, He cares for the birds, yes, He cares for the flowers, but, but humans are made in the image of God. We are His children. Every single human bears the image of God Himself on us. He loves us. He made us to be like Him, to be in His image. So, of course, we're valuable to Him. We're incredibly valuable to Him. So, of course, He's going to provide for us. We don't need to worry because God knows us and He loves us and He will provide for us. Now, maybe you've experienced this in your life. Maybe you had a situation where you weren't sure how things were going to come together. You weren't sure how you were going to make ends meet or get food on the table or keep a roof over your head. 
But God showed up in a, in a powerful and in a big way and provided for you and your family. A friend of ours grew up as a missionary kid in Russia, and she told us a story of how God provided uh, for their family in a powerful and an unmistakable kind of a way. Her family was going through a very difficult time uh, financially while they were serving on the field, so much so that they literally didn't know where the next meal was coming from. One day, the refrigerator was completely empty except for a bottle of ketchup. And think about that. The only food in your house is a bottle of ketchup with several young kids to feed. So what could, you, what could they do? They gathered around the table, they set it, they put the bottle of ketchup in the middle, and they prayed. A little while later, knock on the door, and a family comes over with a full meal, a traditional Russian meal that had lots of cabbage in it that required only the addition of ketchup that it's always served with. And this made a lasting impression on this as a little girl and then growing up into adulthood she, that stuck with her, that God provides. Even when you don't know where it's going to come from, you can trust that He loves you he knows what you need, and He is powerful to provide for you. I know a lot of you have these same stories. We have a couple of these stories in a lesser degree in our own family, but, but God has come through in powerful and unmistakable ways. He loves us, and He provides for us. That's why we don't have to worry. We don't have to worry because God will provide for us. He knows our needs. We are valuable to Him, and He loves us. And so that's why Jesus can command us not to worry. But of course, it's not enough to simply say, that we need to stop worrying. If you are a worrier, saying that just adds another thing for you to worry about. You need to learn how you can actually stop worrying. Maybe you've uh, seen the old Bob Newhart skit where he uh, is a counselor and this woman comes into his office uh, with some fears that she's been having. She's afraid of being uh, buried alive in a box. And so she's very claustrophobic. It's a, it's a very difficult way for her to live her life. And so she's explaining all of these things to the counselor and he's, he's listening carefully. And so he, he kind of asks some clarifying questions and then he feels like he has come up with a solution. So he gets her all ready for this. You know, she gets a paper down. She's ready to hear this. And she says, okay, I've got two words that I want you to, to take in and to take home with you and to apply to your situation. This will absolutely fix the problem. And so she says, okay, I'm ready. And he just says, stop it. Like, why are you doing this? Stop doing that. Stop being afraid of being buried alive in a box. That's no way to live your life. Just, just stop it. And if you are worrying that's really good advice. Stop it. It's not doing you any good, right? Look at the birds. Look at, look at the flowers. It's not doing you. You can't add a single hour to your life. Just, just stop it, right? But for most of us, it's not that easy. We can see why we don't have to worry. Now we have to see how we can actually stop worrying. Go back to what Jesus said. Matthew six thirty three. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is the solution to worrying. It's a fundamental transformation of our priorities and our outlook in life. Seek God's kingdom. Seek God's righteousness more than anything else in all the world. That's the solution to worrying. If you truly want God's kingdom more than you want anything else, then you're set. You don't have to worry because you know that God's kingdom will surely come. That's what the cross and the resurrection prove. We know that God's kingdom is sure. It's secure. See, much of the worry and the anxiety that we feel about finances and other things in our lives is the result of skewed thinking and mistaken priorities. Every time I do premarital counseling, I have uh, the couple go through a little assessment called uh, the meaning of money. It's, a, it's just a little tool uh, designed to help the, the husband and wife um, understand how the other person thinks about money. 
And it's true that different people think about money in different ways. For some, money is pleasure. So the more money I have, the more I can spend, the more fun I'm going to have. Uh, for some, money is status. The more money I have, the uh, better I feel about myself, the more important I am. Uh, for some, money is power. The more money I have, the more I can control situations. And for many, money is security. The more money I have, the safer I feel. And this is helpful for a husband and wife to understand how each one of them thinks about money and views money, because if one of them is always seeing money as pleasure, they're always going to want to be spending money. If the other is seeing money as security, they're always going to want to be saving money. So it's helpful for a couple to, to understand this so it's not a constant tension when it comes to their uh, checkbook. But if you think about this, really, each one of these can be problematic. And each one of these money can displace a role that's only designed for God, that only God can truly meet. So, for example, if money is security, then we're always going to be looking to money for our sense of security and safety rather than to God. If money is our source of uh, status, we're always looking to money for our identity and, and how we fit in our value rather than looking to God for those things. And really, it's no wonder that we end up worrying so much about it. If we're going to stop, God has to regain his spot as king. See, Jesus is telling us that uh, we have to, to, excuse me, Jesus is telling us to stop finding our meaning, our security, our value, our safety in stuff. It just doesn't work. It can't hold that. We have to transfer that priority to seek first God's kingdom, to find our meaning, our purpose, our dignity, our value in him and in his kingdom. See, when we come to understand who Jesus is, and when we come to understand what God has done for us, it shifts everything about our life. Suddenly, Jesus becomes the most important thing in the world to us, because it, it takes realizing what the gospel says, that we were totally hopeless apart from God's work that we had no choice but despair. We, we, there was nothing that we could do to commend ourselves to God. In fact, we are setting ourselves up as enemies of God. And if we, if we look at our eternal situation, there's nothing we can do to improve that. We are sinful people. And yet, rather than condemning us, God sends His Son to rescue us at our worst possible moment, in our most helpless moments, God sends Jesus to rescue us. That's the good news of the gospel. And when we understand that, it totally shifts our priorities. Jesus does become the most important thing in the world to us. God's kingdom is what we want more than anything else. God's righteousness is what we want more than anything else. And when that happens, it frees me from finding my identity in my income. It frees me from finding my sense of security in my retirement fund. It frees me from finding my value in being able to keep up with my neighbors. It frees me from looking for joy in buying new things and having more stuff. Now, there's an important corrective here. We have to be very clear on this. Jesus is not the road to wealth. When Jesus says that we don't have to worry about provision, that God will provide for us, he's not saying that God is your ticket to a big, fat trust fund. There are Christians who believe that. And there are some preachers who gain a big following of people by, by preaching that kind of thing, but it runs counter to what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about having flipped priorities, having a transformation of our values, that the prosperity gospel, that God is the road to wealth, that's not switching pro uh, priorities at all. It's using God language to reinforce the wrong priorities that you already have that are leading to worry in the first place. Don't fall for that. It's dangerous and it's trash. 
it doesn't help at all. If you want to stop worrying, it's not the solution to that isn't believing that God's going to make you wealthy. If you want to stop worrying, you have to see that God's kingdom is far more important than the balance in your bank account. To see that that is the most important thing. And when that truly hits home, we end up being free from this overwhelming sense of anxiety and worry. So Jesus' words give us the, the starting point for how we actually stop worrying. We, we seek God's kingdom above everything else. It's, a, it's getting the right priorities in our life. And when those priorities start to, to come into place, that shows in our life, and we learn contentment. We move from worry to contentment. The Apostle Paul, who wrote uh, much of the New Testament, talks about that happening in his own life. He's writing to a church that has uh, sent him a financial gift, and this is what he says. Listen to this. This is from Philippians chapter 4. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul says that he has learned to be content no matter what the situation in his life looks like. And the interesting thing is Paul's actually playing off of the kind of language that the, the Greek philosophers of his day would have used. So the Stoics in particular valued self-sufficiency over everything, and they used the same word that Paul uses, contentment, to talk about their own ideal. So their idea was that you could uh, kind of live above the circumstances, live above want, live above uh, abundance, so that having a bunch isn't going to give you peace and having little isn't going to bring you down. You're living above those kind of things. And for them, that's contentment, that's self-sufficiency. The, the goal there is to be independent. But that's not what Paul is talking about. He's using the language, but he's actually flipping it on its head. The secret to being content isn't self-sufficiency. The secret to being content is Christ's sufficiency. It's relying upon Him. See, it's the power of God that's at work in Paul that enables him to be content no matter what the circumstances of his life are. It's not that he's indifferent to what's happening around him. It's that he is in Christ. He has a relationship with God. And so he's able to be secure and stable no matter what. It's not about being independent it's about learning to live in the strength that God provides. It's learning to be dependent upon God in every moment. Now, too often we take this uh, last verse out of context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is the kind of thing that ends up on the wall of a weight room at a Christian school, right? In big block letters. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And you see these kids uh, lifting weights and like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But it's so much more powerful than that. It's not about what you can do in, in your own strength or, or Jesus being able to help you lift a few more pounds on the dumbbell. No, this is about something that can totally transform your life. This is something that can set you free from the worry and the anxiety that rule the lives of so many of us and so many of the people around us. I can do all this in Him who gives me strength. It's about having a relationship with Jesus, a real relationship that is thriving and that you then know that no matter what happens, whether you're uh, starving to death or whether you have plenty of food on the table, you know that God loves you, that he provides for you, that his kingdom is sure, and that everything is okay. 
The secret to being content is being in Christ. It's knowing where the right power for this is. See, the power for contentment instead of worry doesn't come from within ourselves. We, simply, we can't simply do what Bob Newhart tells us to do and just stop it, right? Because we worry because there are actual things to worry about. There are lots of things that are difficult in our life. We have lots of issues, lots of real problems. We worry because there's stuff to worry about. We don't just make up stuff to worry about. There's real stuff, and that's why we worry. The power for getting past that can't then come from ourselves. It comes from gaining a new perspective, new priorities, and new power. Jesus tells us why we don't need to worry. It's because God knows our needs, He loves us, and He provides for us. And now He teaches us how we can stop where you get the right priorities, you seek God's kingdom and His righteousness more than anything in the world. And Paul builds off that. Get the right power. The secret to contentment is being in Christ. It's His strength that grows to contentment. It's being dependent upon Him. If you and I are ever going to get past worry to contentment, we have to actually be in Christ. It's about a relationship where we know God, we know His care for us, we know His love for us, we know His power at work within us. Contentment can only come from that relationship. And what this amounts to is, is something like coming back to a, a childlike trust. I mean, think, about, think about that. A healthy child in a, in a loving home learns that if mom or dad is there, then I'm safe and everything's okay. Right? When I go home in the evenings, my kids will, will act like these crazy little daredevils when I'm home. They'll go running off the stairs and jump into my arms, and no regard for safety because I'm there and they trust that I'm going to catch them. It's a really harrowing experience when I don't realize it's happening and I suddenly get bombarded by a kid jumping at me, but they have learned that they can do that and I will compensate for that. They know that they're safe if I'm there. Or watch my little girl after the service. If I'm holding her in my arms and someone comes up and talks to her, if she's feeling a little bit shy, what's she going to do? She turns her head and buries it in my shoulder because she knows that there she is safe. Nestled in and nothing can harm her. And then she's okay. And then she can talk to you and look at you. It's knowing that you are safe. It's knowing that you are secure. That's what Paul discovered. He's discovered the secret to being content, the secret to getting past worrying about all the stuff that there is to worry about. It's having a relationship with God in Christ. It's knowing that there, there is a power at work in you, there is a strength at work in you because of that relationship. It means that God will take care of you, even if it means you're going hungry and you're going to miss a meal. He is enough for you because his kingdom is what you want more than anything else in all the world. Let me give you two practices to try out this week to grow in God-given contentment, to get past worry. The first is to pray a simple prayer every day this week. It goes like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. It's a very simple prayer. It's the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples when they asked him, how do we pray? Teach us to pray. It's called the Lord's Prayer. If you don't know that yet, if you're not familiar with it yet, you can go uh, do a Google search on it and find it. You can uh, get a copy of it. It's also found in the Bible as well. But Jesus taught this to his disciples, and it remains for us a great way to align our hearts and our priorities according to God's heart and his priorities. 
It's praying that His kingdom come. It's about seeking first, more than anything else, God's kingdom and praying that out in our prayers. And then recognizing, yes, give us today our daily bread. Please do provide what we need to sustain our life today. But it's about switching the priorities and praying in dependence upon God. So that's the first practice. The second thing I want to uh, commend to you is a simple exercise in gratitude. Just spend 15 minutes thinking about all the things that God has done for you. Every way that you can think of that he has provided, every gift, every way he has blessed you. These can be big things, they can be small things, but just write them down as they come to mind. Spend some time just stopping and, and, and reflecting on all these things. Write them all down. See, one of the greatest antidotes to worry is gratitude and thankfulness. It's recognizing, getting eyes to see, wait a second, God really does provide time and time and time again. And as you write all these things down, as you develop your list, my my hope, my prayer is that you will be overflowing then with thanks to God, that you'll be able to lift your heart in praise, pray a prayer of, of thanks to him for everything that he has done for you. So two very simple practices. Here's what we have to know. The God who created us loves us more than we ever dreamed possible. He knows us intimately. Every single fear, every single failure, everything he knows. He knows everything we need. And he loves us. He delights to give his children good gifts. And we can count on him to provide everything we need. Please pray with me. God, I thank you that you are a God who has shown yourself faithful time and time and time again. I pray that as followers of Jesus, we would express to others, tell the stories of how you have shown us your care for us, whether it's a a tiny little thing or whether it's a, a really big thing. And God, for those who are not yet followers of Jesus, who have not yet kind of come to grasp your provision in their lives, I pray that you would give them eyes to see how much you love them and how much you care for them this week. I pray that this week would make a difference in their lives and they would be able to come back next week and say, yes, God is good. Yes, God loves me. And that they would learn to seek your kingdom above everything else. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.